Hello flower friends and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Grow Girls where we chat all things flowery with you. Right, we're back. We're back for another one, Nicole. We are indeed. No biggie, no biggie. What have you been up to this week, Nicole, before we get into it? Mm, mostly hiding inside, although I did have a really productive day on the weekend, getting out, getting the last few bulbs in the garden, washing Ooh. the greenhouse. I couldn't walk for two days afterwards, but, you know, uh, those muscles haven't been worked for a good few weeks over over December. But getting back into the swing of things now. I impulse bought some pastel gladiolus in home bargains. <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. No, and I've decided they're not going in the cut flower patch. I'm going to put them in my front garden for me to enjoy. And I don't know about you, but the weather here is turned miserable. Uh, Nicole, um, that's so British. Don't know what to talk about and you just turn to the weather. <laughs> Honestly, our American listeners are going to be appalled. We, this is all we do as Brits. We talk about the weather. I know, but it is really miserable at the moment. It's grey, it's raining, mm. and I definitely do not garden in rain ever. The ground is frozen here as well, frozen oh. solid. So I couldn't do anything if I wanted to. What a shame. I'd just stay inside. <laughs> How awful. And stay inside and plan. Yeah. God, no thanks. But that does kind of lead us into our next guest. Yeah, so talking of planning, this week we are joined by the amazing, the one, the only... Drum roll. Drum roll. Georgie from Common Farm Flowers. Georgie has got absolutely masses of experience in starting a cut flower patch from scratch and developing it into a massively successful flower business. I mean, she was doing it before it was cool, you know, so. (laughs) She's got so much amazing experience that she's very kindly shared some of it with us today. Um, We have learned lots from this episode and we really hope that you guys do too. So over to Georgie. Well, technically Nicole, because you're going to introduce her, but whatever. (laughs) Roll tape. So welcome to the podcast, Georgie. How are you today? Uh, cold thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> just like the rest of us i think yeah exactly although we're forecast the beast from the east i think next week so um i'll be colder next week but it's all right yeah the weather forecast is not looking great for flower growers over the next couple of weeks is it no but it's not a busy i mean you can be as busy as you want but it's um it's not a big time for sowing seeds or anything for me not yet i so i wait until the 15th of January, february so i'm Oh, you've got a very specific timetable. Oh, yes. My timetable <laughs> is written in stone. <laughs> Whereabouts in the country are you? Um, we're in Somerset, between Bruton and Wincanton in South Somerset, middle of nowhere. So we did a little bit of an intro to you at the start of the um, podcast, but would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners first and just give us a bit of a, a a background about you? So my name's Georgie Newbury and I have been running Common Farm Flowers here in Somerset since 2010. So we're nearly 11 years old um, and we grow about a quarter of a million stems a year for cutting. Wow, um, wow. <laughs> but very shocked faces from both me and Sarah there. <laughs> well, well, you'll learn if you grow flowers for 
cutting in any kind of serious way, um, sooner or later you need to start counting your stems because then you know what you've got to grow. So I know that I cut about, I grow about a quarter of a million stems a year. Um, and I, we send bouquets by courier uh, almost 52 weeks a year, not quite. I've had the last three weeks off since Christmas. Um, how dare you? I know, how very dare <laughs> I. Um, we send about 2,000 bouquets by post a year uh, by courier. And we do a um, certain amount of local work. And we do normally, we do loads of weddings and events. Um, obviously, all that's up in the air still. And I teach workshops. I teach masses of workshops, which I love. It's the bit I like to do most. Um, and normally we would do about 30 days a year here at the farm. Uh, but good old COVID has forced me online. <laughs> and actually, it's been it's fantastic because I've managed to keep on with my teaching. It's been a great income, which, you know, has made a huge difference because we've lost the weddings and I wouldn't have had my normal workshop income. And it's been really, really fun. And I think, you know, looking for the positive in all of this, which is so negative, I think for small businesses like mine, COVID has made us think really hard and be quite light on our feet. And the people who've been able to move with it have uh, learned a lot of new skills and learned a lot of new things. So I'm very, in a way, I'm not grateful to COVID because what a grim business it's been for mm. everybody. But it has certainly forced me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> We've definitely got to look at the the positives haven't we in, in all yeah. of this and and um I guess for other people it's been a positive in that you've been able to reach a bit further afield for your courses you know people who wouldn't ordinarily be able to travel down to the to your farm Absolutely. have been able to benefit which is amazing well it's fantastic and actually what's been really nice is because the if you're doing an online workshop you can't do whole days it's it's boring. You can't just sit and listen to one person endlessly droning on for a day. So what I've done is I've taken the workshops that I normally do and I've split them into modules so that people can do quite a lot of different things as the mood takes them. And they really are doing it. I get people coming back time and again. And, you know, and if they want to know more about growing flowers, for example, they come and do on the, maybe the designer cut flower patch workshop or uh, the flower farmer's year I'm doing tomorrow and that's sold out. And I know it'll sell out again. I've got another date later on in the spring. And, you know, we were talking about dates and how I'm very specific on what I get done when. And a lot of people grow flowers now for a living mm. or at least to contribute a good deal to their living. And so that very specific flower farmers year is really really useful workshop for people and we do social media workshops workshops for small businesses and so how big is your I'm reluctant to use the word patch because it does sound somewhat field like <laughs> rather yeah. Yeah, it's probably bigger than your average patch it's a seven acre plot but half of it is cultivated and the other half is wild and we have a very strong ethos here the idea is that we grow flowers to pay for our lives mm. but also to support an in incredible environment for wildlife. My husband, Fabrizio, he came up with this sentence, which is supposed to be whatever, it's, this is what drives us, is that we look after the invertebrates and the rest of the food chain can look after itself. <laughs> and so in order to do that, we need some wild areas. And so about half of the seven acres is wild or woodland or orchard. 
oh meadow mm. he's made the most incredible meadow oh wow and, it sounds beautiful yeah and then the other three and a half acres of cut flowers and we aim to have the flower the garden in full flower from the first of april to mid-november uh which is a 30-week season oh that's incredible and then in the winter between those times uh our cornish colleagues who don't freeze keep us going <laughs> so we don't stop we send flowers out all year round and they're always only british grown we never ever use imports not because there aren't beautiful flowers imported but just for mm. for for green reasons we've chosen the green path and we're going to stick with that yeah we, we've spoken a lot about that on the podcast over the over the last few episodes but we, we really agree with that ethos and I have actually um, sent my mum a bunch of your flowers several times. <laughs> I knew of you before I knew about growing flowers. I hadn't connected the two things together because you have one celebrity client, I was telling Nicole about this, who loves to talk about your flowers, and that is Dawn French, who I follow <laughs> avidly. And she kept posting about your flowers, and so I got on board and I started sending your flowers. And it's mad now that... Um, now I grow them. I hadn't connected the dots, but that was... That's yeah. actually the first thing Sarah said to me when I suggested you for the podcast. She's like, oh my God, she does Dawn French's flowers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, Dawn French is a fantastic client. She's been a really, really... And she's a huge supporter of what we do, which is really... Mm. Very nice for her. and uh, so yeah, we're very lucky. We've got we've got some fun. For, we have got some fun clients who've been very loyal over the years. You know, ten years down the line, I think we've been sending flowers to Dawn for maybe six years, something like that. Oh, wow, <laughs> that is uh... been going on and on and on. <laughs> she, I think you actually said to me, um, you didn't say Dawn French at first. You said the Vicar of Dibley, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, Nicole. Oh my good. <laughs> names it's true <laughs> so when you started out did you start out with such a big plot or was it did yes. you grow to that size no we, well we we moved here in 2004 and um I had been in London and before that in Paris and so I was a city girl um and then I met my husband and we had this sort of fantasy of <laughs> having a sort of we thought we'd have a market garden I don't we didn't think about it at all we really came up with no it was we had no business plan no cash flow forecast nothing but we just had this fantasy of having a market garden and so we spent a year looking for a falling down because we couldn't afford anything grand or smart or in any or in in any good nick so it took us a year to find this place which is really it is a falling down farmhouse and Every now and again, we do something to it, but I still haven't sorted out the windows 17 years down the line. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> um, but it did come with a good patch of land. It came with seven acres. And you wouldn't necessarily choose these seven acres if you had all the money in the world because they are thick Somerset clay. And this was the common, the village common land. It's the worst land in the village. Because obviously landowners don't leave the best land in the village for the common people to use. They take the best land in the village. Hence your name. Yeah, so that's why we're common farm flowers. And um, uh, so we so we found this patch of land and it was very wet. And we thought, oh, well, never mind. We'll just, this is what we can afford. So, uh, yeah, 17 years later, here we are. And um, we were, I'm very glad we, we managed to find a place so that I'm working on the land. And I live here rather than having to go somewhere 
to yeah. work my plot. That, that was by chance. That's just how it worked out. And so we thought we would be smallholders. So we kept pigs and sheep and chickens and, you know, all the things you thought you would do and grew vegetables. And pigs are really hard work and also they're really nice. And so <laughs> it's really hard to send them to slaughter. I was going to say, have they turned you vegetarian or do you still eat a bacon butter? No, they didn't turn us vegetarian, but, you know, they were really lovely. And so it was very hard to send them off to slaughter. So, um, after keeping after two sets of pigs, we decided we wouldn't have any more pigs, and then we had sheep who we loved, um, and there was no way we could send these to slaughter. So they never <laughs> they just became old ladies and eventually went the way of all things. And then we grew masses of vegetables, but I was so bored with vegetables. I mean, you've, you've got to love what you grow. Mm. There's only I, so many courgettes you can eat, and I speak from knowledge. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, and. And uh, but and meanwhile, we had two tiny children. And so going to market was really difficult because the children were really mm -hmm. tiny. And so that was really difficult. And then anyway, and meanwhile, I was beginning to grow flowers just for me. And then mm -hmm. one day somebody sent me a bunch of flowers in the post and I had an absolute light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, so the the vegetables just ignored and never and the chickens every time we had chickens the fox ate them so no more chickens no more sheep no more pigs i love growing flowers i can't resist growing flowers so i may as well sell them because you can't you know you may, it doesn't take much more effort to grow quite a lot more flowers hmm. and they're worth more and you can't eat them i can't <laughs> eat them but also a sweet pea is worth more than a lettuce leaf true it takes hmm. about the same amount of work so Mm. And one smells much nicer. <laughs> and anyway, Charles Dowding is my next door neighbour, and he grew them all. Oh, day. is he? We yeah. interviewed Charles for our last season, so uh... oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's about five miles up the road. So I, I was like, well, you know, Charles does the veg, I'll do the flowers. So the light bulb moment, and from then, I mean, it just took off. Um, but I think it does help that you really, you've got to really love what you do, and mm. because it is very hard work. Um, but there's nothing like having two small children in the house to make you want to escape them. <laughs> <laughs> I love them, but they're very hard work. They also very hard work. So I escape hmm. them into the garden and the garden gets done. And then when I've had enough of the garden, I go back in the house and I look after the children and so on. <laughs> well, that sounds like a perfect combination. Well, I don't know about that, but anyway, it works. <laughs> so how did you decide what, what to grow how did you know what flowers would work for you what would sell well you know how did you get down to that list of flowers it was a slow process and I made I really wasn't very systematic about it at the beginning but I quite quickly started teaching workshops and so therefore I had to learn I had to stop and think about what I was doing so that I could teach the workshops the workshops have been brilliant because they've made me analyze what and how I do what I do so mm. that I can teach other people to do it. For me, it's not really the varieties I grow, it's the shapes I grow. Okay. So I want particular kinds of shapes through the season. So I'll always have mm -hmm. a daisy shape. I'll always have a spike. I'll mm -hmm. always have a scent, so sweet peas all the way through. I'll always have accent flowers and, you know, the big showstoppers. And I'll always have lace, you know. And you, if you think I'm always going to have lace, then you can grow Ami Majors, Ami Visnaga, dill fennel uh wild carrot they're all lace 
So you can arrange to have lace all the summer. Mm-hmm. I love that way of thinking of it, though, not thinking of the particular varieties. We had somebody ask us um, in our Facebook group about what should she grow, zinnias or cosmos. And I, I, I my answer to her was, what do you want your bouquets to look like? And I yeah. hadn't really put two and two together like what you've just said. And, well, and growing actually, shapes, not... Yeah, and zinnias and cosmos are both daisy shapes. Mm-hmm. And I would say that a zinnia plant in this climate does better for longer than, I mean, a cosmos plant in this climate does better for longer than a zinnia. But a zinnia mm-hmm. is a very strong, it's quite a strong flower. And so long as you grow the bigger ones, it can mm-hmm. be in your mix, it can be the mm-hmm. accent flower. Whereas a cosmos is never going to be an accent flower. So No, but I kind of like it for its airiness. I always think it adds like a like a waftiness to a bouquet that you don't get from a lot of other flowers. Yeah, and I think, uh, pers- funnily enough, with Cosmos, what happens with me is I grow it and it f- begins to flower because the light changes so dramatically through the season. Mm-hmm. And when they start flowering in July, the sun is still quite high and it makes the colour of the Cosmos quite flat. Mm-hmm. And they flower and you think, oh, why did I grow them? Oh. <laughs> I like them. They're horrible. They're very boring. And the colours the colors are a bit flat. The pink is a bit flat. The red is too strong. And bleh. Anyway, then the season goes on and the sun comes down a bit and goes underneath the cosmos. And suddenly you're like, oh, that's why I grow the cosmos. <laughs> why did I ever doubt myself? Yeah, why did I ever doubt myself? So the skill is to sow your cosmos really late because you don't want it in June and early July because the sun's wrong. Mm. Excellent tip. And one thing I learned about Cosmos, because I found it grew quicker than I could cut it. Mm. Um, and so one thing I started doing, I saw someone in an arrangement used the buds and the greenery. Yeah. yeah. And so I started with chopping everything. I would just take the tops off, basically, all the plants, and I'd yeah. use the flowers or I'd use the buds. But that way it kept it in check. And actually, it's yeah, really yeah. nice foliage, I thought. It is lovely foliage. I like to cut when the buds are still – If I mean, I just want to see a little bit of colour. So they're just beginning to come. And then I'll send the bouquet. And by the time it gets to the bouquet, the bouquet arrives with somebody. The cut, their, the buds are just colouring up a little bit more. And then the flowers last longer. They're three or four days later. Then the cosmos is coming into flower. So long as the person's looking after the, the bouquet and cl- giving them clean water and things. And so it makes a bouquet full of surprises, which is a, a bonus. <laughs> but zinnias, on the other hand, well, they don't do brilliantly here because it's so wet. Mm-hmm. And I think they're... I'm not crazy about them, I have to admit. I've grown them the last three or four years and I'm yet to find a variety that I've fallen in love with. You know, like some flowers you just love. I I haven't found my love for a zinnia yet. I think, I mean, they're a doer. They'll do, all right. And it's useful to have green flowers. Yeah. So that's a reason to grow them. Unless you've got a really hot, dry, late summer, which in England we don't always... You know, mm. I quite often have a a wet, damp, quite cold late summer. Or oh, you get those two or three weeks of misery, don't you? That that yeah, just, late August, yeah, uh, which doesn't do them any any favors. So I, I sometimes, I mean, I I do sow them, but I sow them in very small quantities, and I tend to use them as filler up. You know, if I've got a gap, I'll chuck in a bit of zinnia seed, mm-hmm. and in a sort of opportunistic way. But I won't rely on them to do a big job for me ever mm. and they're not tall enough 
to do a big job. You know, whereas a cosmos, you can cut, you know, cosmos is... You cut two foot almost sometimes, can't you? <laughs> well, and if you're doing a big wedding, you can cut the whole blooming plant. And I mean, it's just lovely. <laughs> and, they're, and they don't, well, you know, so long as you look after them, they're in really, they're lovely. So, yeah, I see, I see why you would choose with a cosmos over a zinnia. They are. <laughs> I think we've answered that question. Moving Definitely. on. Definitely. Um, one of the things that we were we get asked all the time was is around like how do you start even planning a cutting patch you know a lot of our listeners are growing on a smaller scale you know in a small allotment or in a garden how how would you recommend starting i think it's really simple as with all jobs from doing Christmas, planning Christmas, to planning a holiday, to you cut everything down into its constituent parts. And a good cut flower patch has three useful ingredients. It has accent flowers, your showstoppers, filler, and greenery and foliage, which is three. You can also then say that the summer your season is spring, summer, and autumn. It's three. And <clears throat> you can then say, I would, <laughs> I do say, have three, therefore, three sets of everything. So I'll have three small beds. And you can do this in pots. You can have three pots for the spring, three pots for the summer, and three pots for the autumn. Or you can have three and a half acres and have an acre of spring, an acre of summer, <laughs> an acre of autumn. But... I cut everything into threes so that I've always got, at any one time of the year, a third foliage, a third filler, and a third accent flowers. And it's really, really simple. So you then go, okay, so what is going to be my accent flowers for the spring? And then I say to people, well, what I would do if I were you is um, have a Pinterest page. Oh, that's a rabbit hole. I know, but you don't have to look at anybody else's. I just, this is, it's only a rabbit hole if you haven't got any self control, <laughs> which I'm not sure I have. <laughs> so make yourself three Pinterest pages and you don't have to share them with anyone. They can be private. It's like making a scrapbook mm -hmm. and pin your accent flowers for each spring, summer, autumn. Mm. Pin your, and then pin what you're going to grow to be your filler for spring, summer, autumn. Pin what you've got for foliage or what you're going to grow to be foliage spring farm autumn and i guarantee you will grow you will spend about a third of what you used to spend on seed mm -hmm. and you will grow actual that way you'll grow bouquets you'll grow a good mix instead of what happens is people look at their garden and they, they look at the seed catalogs and they love everything when it looks all sort of frothy and nice so they just buy masses of umbellifers and at the end of the summer, they go, I had, this, I had a lovely summer. I just had masses and masses and masses of lace. And I say, yes, and I told you to have some lace. <laughs> but I also told you, I told you to have some accent flowers. And so, so your accent flowers might be tulips mm -hmm. followed by, or, and followed by roses, followed by dahlias, being simple. And that way you can have a, a tulip or a spring bulb bed, a rose bed, and a dahlia bed. And then you can have, a bed for your your filler for the spring, for the summer, for the autumn, and a bed for and and it's really really simple, and it, you don't need any room. You can have it on, you know, if you if you have a half size allotment, that's perfect. That'll fill a half size allotment really mm -hmm. nicely, and then you can have add you can edge your beds with mint, or uh, you could have rosemary and lavender and all sorts of nice. I I have a real passion for um, 
scented pelargoniums at the moment. I'm going through Ooh. a thing. <laughs> and they make lovely greenery and bouquets. They cut the, the foliage is lovely in the bouquets. So you might grow some of those or whatever it is. But if you have cut your job down into three, then you won't grow too much or you won't find mm. that you've got masses and masses in the autumn, but nothing in the spring. Mm. It's very simple. You're definitely yeah. selling this uh, cut flower course to me. I don't know about yeah. anybody else listening. <laughs> Do you have any other foliage recommendations? Because that is the main, so the main question we get is filler and foliage. People, that seems to be the only thing people get stuck on. Do you have any? Big Again, problems? I think it's, it's just think about your seat. So, don't think general foliage mm-hmm. through the year. Think what's good in the spring, good in the summer, and good in the autumn, and maybe good in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I grow um, I grow winter flowering honeysuckle for my spring mm-hmm. foliage. That's my first green foliage in the spring in April. Brilliant foliage. And then I have a lot of Physocarpus in oh, different colours. I love colors, that. That's my which favorite. goes all the way through the summer. And mm-hmm. is incredibly giving. So long as you keep it wet and feed it a bit, it will really work for you. I then have um, a variegated cornice, which I love, which gives me sort of August and early September. It's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then I have my cotinus. And that's really my basic foliage. And I'll grow a bit of brachyglottis because I, I love a bit of silver. Mm-hmm. And I grow a bit of um, cineraria because I love a bit of silver. But... You don't have to have masses. I mean, if you're laying out a cut flower patch, what you can do is you can hedge it with your foliage. Mm-hmm. And so long as you've got, I mean, you really want to come on the patch, because, but the course, because I can draw it for you. But if depending on the shape of your patch, you can plant three crab apples, which mm. are incredibly flowery. And if you cut them a lot, don't grow enormously big. But the first thing they do is cut the wind out. So if you plant three crab apples at the end of your sets of three beds, <laughs> you then so you've given yourself a wind break, and then you can hedge it. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you've got enough room to put your crab apples a little way away from your patch as they grow up, they break the wind up for a sort of twice or three times the height, the length of the height of the tree. So this is the tree. Um, you really have to come on this thing so to show you. <laughs> but anyway, um, but you can imagine how that those trees will break the wind up, and then a low hedge will break the wind up more, which will then give you lots of protection. Because if you're growing flowers, in my case, I'm growing flowers for sale, and a flower may look lovely in a garden from a distance of twenty foot, but flowers that you sell have to be absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. So, I need wind protection is really important. But if I can also cut my wind protection and use it as material, then (laughs) happy days. So, um, and then I can give my beds a little bit of herby edge. And that gives me, so suddenly I've got quite a lot of different foliage in not a very big space. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I I love a bit of herb for edging and keeping and putting into bouquets as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with mint, be careful that it doesn't thug. <laughs> yeah, but it's not rocket science to prevent that. You just need to put something into the ground, which because the roots grow very, very close to the surface, so you just need to be able to prevent them going any further. Mm-hmm. And don't use wood because they'll get through the wood. Um, use stone or 
um, I call, I'll use slate. Hmm. I, I've got old bits of slate that I'll just make a circle and put my mint inside the slate and it stops the roots getting out. Oh, like you say, it's a good one for pots as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's great in a pot. I mean, I think you can grow a really good cut flower patch in a pot. I quite often have people saying, you know, I'm planning on moving or I'm living in a rented house and I don't want to invest too much in the garden, but I want to grow stuff. And if I move, I'm going to take it with me. So can I grow things in pots? And the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, you do. The only caveat is obviously you have to water more because pots will inevitably transpire. Um, and I would say you also have to feed more because every time you water, uh, the water goes through the pot and out drizzles across the paving. Uh, you lose some of the nutrients. So, mm -hmm. you know, just be handy with your seaweed solution in the summer and be prepared to really mulch so that there's not too much transpiring off the top. But otherwise, I don't see why you couldn't do a really good cut flower patch in a pot. All of my um, peonies are in pots. So because I'm in army housing, uh, so we'll only be here another year. And I just could not bear the thought of planting them in the ground. So I've got seven peonies in fabric pots yeah. that are going to move with me which is yeah. almost more furniture than I have. Like, they're really heavy. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, really, we're going to pay to move these? Yeah, no, but it is. But equally, of course, you're going to pay to move them because when you finally end up in your forever home, which mm -hmm. one day, maybe, you know, 20 years down the line, but eventually you will, you can take them out of their pots and each one will make you 10 peonies. And I did steal some of them too. So <laughs> from empty army gardens they were liberated not stolen we've had Thank this conversation <laughs> and there are um like 20 empty houses and one of them i went in there to get some mint because mint is really prolific here like a few people clearly planted the stuff they bought in the supermarket thinking it would be funny and now yes. every single empty garden is just mint there's no grass how lovely. Yeah, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. And then I yeah. wanted him to get some mint and there were these, I think they must be like 10 years old, these peony plants. And I went, perfect. Ooh. So I, I went this autumn and I dug some up and they're mine. Now. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. but And and then you can split them. Hmm. They'll make more plants. Well, I did. So I dug them up, I split them and then I put one part back and took all the other parts. Yeah. Well, they need it. You did them a favor because yeah. they need to be split, otherwise they get too crowded. No, you did absolutely the right thing. I'm a thing. Still a gardening. Right, so we do have questions to put to you from mm -hmm. the people. No pressure. You've actually answered lots of them, which is quite <laughs> impressive, seeing as we haven't asked any. Oh, do you have any predictions of the top plants slash flowers to sell in 2021? No. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I don't do that. And I, um, I think for a, there are no wed. I don't think the weddings are going to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to get us vaccinated quickly enough. And mm -hmm. so, one of the things that really drives fashion in flowers, if you like, mm -hmm. is weddings. What I think will be fashionable in twenty twenty one will be people becoming garden florists themselves mm -hmm. and I think there will be a good market if anybody's growing flowers and they want to sell some I think there will be a very very good market for mixed buckets of a nice mix of flowers for people to play with themselves mm. and I think there will have been enormous amount of online information and workshops and stuff where people have learned how to do something or they've they've been inspired to be a bit creative I think people are very conscious that being creative is good for their mental health mm -hmm. not everybody has a big garden or 
they might be experimenting growing flowers, but not necessarily getting terribly far with it in the first year or two. So need a bit of extra. And I think if there are people growing flowers, if you remember, you've got to do those three acts of filler and foliage, mm -hmm. those three, if you can give people a nice mix, mm -hmm. then they will bite your arm off for them. I think also I have a, and I may be wrong, make a prediction here. Um, <laughs> I think that people are going to love hot colours because normally mm. what happens is people grow wedding colours because everybody can buy wedding colours. You can sell wedding colours to everybody. Um, but I don't think there are going to be enormous amount of weddings. And so I think people are going to be um, excited about hotter colours. So I think mm. reds, pinks, um, Reds and pinks, I think, if it's a colour you're thinking about. I have planted a lot of red and pink, mm. and I'm wearing red glasses. There, You're wearing a pink jumper. It's There's a thing that happens, and we don't know it, but we are all very driven by fashion. Mm -hmm. So if you look around and see what people are wearing, if, everybody, if there's a sort of theme of colour going around, that's the colour that you should grow for this summer, if you've mm -hmm. got time to put things in. Um but I think there will be a big market for nice mixed buckets for people to, to play with. I think there's going to be a lot of playing with flowers. It's not a bad thing at all, is it? <laughs> no. No, I think it's great. And I I think the fashion for home flor you know, the home floristry and the garden florist is a very good thing because it'll teach people the value of flowers as well as I think we're very used to, a lot of people are very used to being able to just chuck flowers in the supermarket trolley at the end of the day mm -hmm. and just then they take them home they chuck them in a vase and they don't really love them they don't kind of engage with them it's just a thing that's on the kitchen table they don't really look mm -hmm. at it but I think this year because we've all been forced to slow down and and take stock a bit I think there will be um there will be, you know, the more beautiful, but something that's really, really beautiful, you know, like the whole cosmos plant mm -hmm. looking really, really stunning. I think there'll be a great market for that kind of thing. Well, and I could see it being the next thing. So, because we had banana bread first in the UK. I don't know if <laughs> everyone was baking banana bread. And then yes. uh, my friend pointed out that the banana bread of winter was wreath making. Yeah, all of my non-flowery people on Facebook and Instagram were making wreaths. They were getting yeah. kits from the garden centre, or lots of florists were sending out kits, and everyone I knew seemed to be making wreaths. Whereas last yeah. year, I think I made one, and one of my friends was like, "I didn't even know you could do that." So maybe buying your flowers and arranging them will be the next um, banana bread. I think there will definitely be. Well, there is definitely. It's already happening that people mm -hmm. have kind of got much more, got back in touch with their creative selves a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think by the summer we will be back to some kind of normal. But I, but but it's you know there still will be a lot of people working from home, mm -hmm. and I don't think we'll be throwing enormous parties. And so, but people will enjoy doing things for themselves. I think. Okay, I've got some very literal questions yeah. uh, one person wanted your advice on dahlia spacing um if you're growing a patch of dahlias mm -hmm. i grow them at about 18 inches apart but i grow them in a zigzag on the bed so the bed is a meter wide okay um and so they go along a bed at a sort of 18 inch distance so they're quite crowded and the reason i do that is i want them to push each other up and i want them to hold each other up um i don't stake my dahlias and i don't net them Oh, you're brave. 
I know. <laughs> that, that, that almost like filled me with horror. I could feel it in my chest. <laughs> I know, but it's all to do with the direction of the beds. Actually, I may have to do it this year because I'm moving them. But um, um, but yeah, about 18 inches, I would plant them. And normally, if you don't have masses of wind protection, I would I would definitely stake. And then we so we have another quite literal question, which is: Is there wiggle room in the spacing? Um, encouragements for cutting patches can you put things closer together than they say you can but remember that the closer you put things together the more they'll fight with their neighbor for water and for Mm -hmm. food and uh you will find that the closer things are together the smaller the plant because Mm -hmm. they're fighting with each other for water and for food so i say for a ball this is a ballpark nine inches which is slightly wider than the space of my hand mm-hmm. is that's that's my basic rule of thumb is I'll plant things nine inches apart but sometimes I want things to be a bit smaller so I'll put my amaranthus a bit closer together because I don't want enormous amaranthus I want little amaranthus that I can use again and again and again in my bouquet so um my my amaranth goes on a smaller on a smaller scale um and if I have patches self-seeded I very rarely thin them out so um but they tend to be things which kind of are pretty prolific anyway like nigella or ami um but yeah i'd be if you're growing seeds as seedlings as modules in a module in a greenhouse or wherever to plant out i would give them the nine inches Mm -hmm. they get they get bigger yeah more productive you don't need I would say to this, whoever asked this question, is the chance are you don't need that many plants? I'd say you need fewer plants and better spacing. Yeah, I was going to say it can be a bit of a false economy, can't it? Because you're, yeah. you're shoving more in, but you're getting less, either less usable stems because they're yeah. shorter or just less stems in general. Yeah, exactly, because they're fighting for food and water. So I would say probably you'll do better stem count-wise from fewer plants, mm. better spaced. There you go. And the next one is you might have sort of slightly answered it with your three beds for the three seasons, but if you were looking to grow your wedding flowers, which is obviously something yeah. you're a bit of a pro in with your wonderful book. Oh yes, to grow your own wedding flowers. <laughs> so how much space do you think someone needs to grow their own wedding flowers? Wrong question. The question oh. is sorry, there's no such thing as a stupid question, obviously. <laughs> but I'm gonna no. rephrase the question for your mm-hmm. for your questioner. The question is, how many stems do you need for your wedding? Mm. And you can work that out. You can say, okay, for my bouquet, I'm going to have maybe 30 stems for my bouquet. Is that the average? If you're going to grow it yourself, you don't Mm -hmm. want to have it too enormous. There's a limit to how much you – you don't want to be overexhausted by the whole process. But 30, I think, is reasonable for your bouquet. And uh, so that's 10 accent flowers, 10 foliage, and 10 filler. So that's very easy. And then you can say, okay, and I'm going to have three bridesmaids and they can have 20 stems each. Mm-hmm. And so they, or should we make it rounded up so they're six of each? So 18 stems each. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you see where I go with my rule of three all the time. Mm-hmm. That's six stems of uh, foliage, six, six stems of filler, and six stems of um, accent flowers. So, mm-hmm. so far, uh, that's 18 accent flowers because they're three bridesmaids plus 10 for me. So that's tw- 20. 28 accent flowers. So that might be, and that's just the bride and the bridesmaids. So mm-hmm. 28 accent flowers, that might be roses or dahlias. 
uh, okay, how many plants am I going to need? And then you see how you do yeah. it. So you go, okay, and you add on. You say, okay, oh, and then I'm going to have 10 buttonholes. So I need one dahlia for each of those. So I'm going to count mm-hmm. up what I'm going to need. And then we're going to have, um, say, uh, you're going to have, say you're getting married in a church and you're going to have PUN posies, which can then be taken back to the reception mm-hmm. and used the table centers. How many posies, how many stems am I going to put in each posy? Uh, and maybe I'm going to have 10 of those because I've got 100 mm-hmm. people coming to the wedding and I'm going to have 10 tables at, and then I'll have two mixed buckets of flowers which look really lovely on the pedestals uh, as pedestals mm-hmm. and they come back and they go as the entrance to the marquee and you can literally count the stems that you need mm-hmm. and then you can work out how many plants you need because you can work out ballpark how many stems you can take off each plant. I am so loving this rule of three thing. It's so simple but I feel like it's just blowing my yeah. mind now. <laughs> It does. It's completely, it just is like, oh, yeah, that's easy. That's the end of that. Then I never, mm. it means it changes, it changes what you grow, it changes what you buy, it changes uh, your time scales. It simplifies everything. Mm. You spend a great deal less money on plants that you never, that actually are the wrong, you don't need them because you've already got something. You, Similar. It, 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 it rationalizes the process really mm. simply and it makes life much easier. Well, it's right on my street because I so I started growing this year, um, and Nicole and I met before I started growing. And I remember, so I was raised by a mathematician. So this whole season, I spent like quantifying. So I counted how many stems I got off each plant because the one thing that stressed me out when I started the season was I could not find any solid list anywhere that could tell me how many stems I'd get from a snapdragon, how many stems I'd get from this, and that really brought me a lot of stress because I couldn't do that planning like I was trying to plan it but I didn't know yeah. so that's what I did I've got a book and I literally counted how many stems I got off everything and it won't be the same I mean if mm. you're in army quarters and you're going to move <laughs> it'll yeah. be really annoying yeah. because the ground will be different and the gro- and the rainfall will be different and it'll be mm-hmm. cooler or warmer or whatever so it won't be quite the same but what you've given yourself is a really good basic mm. idea ballpark idea we're not allowed to say where Sarah is but wherever she goes yeah. next it's going to be better. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark and dismal and very rainy. So, oh my goodness! Oh well. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, bright sunshine, warm ground, and uh, plenty of rainfall Fingers and a greenhouse. You never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing. Is I think the more you rationalise rationalize what you want to do i think people think that flower growing and arranging flowers is just lovely, mm. and it is lovely, and it's lovely, and you throw the seed in the <laughs> and it's lovely and you have a lovely time and all the time you're just surrounded by loveliness mm. but actually if you want to make it work effectively the more you count and give yourself kind of effective boundaries around it then you can do the lovely creative stuff within the boundaries because you know that you've achieved your you've given yourself an objective and you've worked out how to achieve it and it'll happen and then you mm-hmm. don't otherwise you wouldn't sleep at night um, so the question anyway. we normally use to wrap up our interviews, and I feel like we've got so much advice and information from you already, so it feels like quite a pressured question, but if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners on their cut flower growing journey, what would it be? Grow less. <laughs> <laughs> grow less. Plan carefully. Grow bouquets and grow – don't just – grow what you like 
don't grow everything that catches your eye, which is what everybody does. They sit on the now. Everybody this evening is sitting on their websites on the seed catalogs, drinking wine and spending too much money. Grow less, and you will do better. Count your stems. You then you then have a really good idea. Grow less and count what you grew. Look at what you analyze what you grew, and then next year grow more based on what you did this year. Sarah did it right. (laughs) (laughs) When I was mocking you for counting your stems, that I was wrong. You were right. (laughs) You were absolutely right. And just before we let you go for real this time, um. You've mentioned your courses a couple of times. Would you like to yeah. tell our listeners where they can find them and oh, yes. more information? Oh, I would like to tell your listeners. <laughs> yes, we have a full list of courses and workshops, uh, both at the farm and online. And they're on our website, www.commonfarmflowers.com. Uh, have a look at the calendar and... Um, see if there's something that tickles your fancy we do add new workshops quite often particularly if something's sold out i would quite often you know find a date and put it put it in again so mm-hmm. if there's something you like the look of that you can't get a place on because we keep our workshops quite small um we don't have thousands of people because i'd like to be able to talk to people and um people to be able to ask they're not pre-recorded workshops are they no No, they're live live, always live Mm. because I think I mean I know there are lots of lovely pre-records but I'm not a floaty person dancing around in an orchard with music (laughs) and high production value (laughs) what you get from me is the hard truth it's a little bit straightforward and uh, but also Mm. I really know what I'm doing so I'm very good at demonstrating and but so have a look at the website but also if you can bear it um sign up for the newsletter because mm. then when we do add new workshops they get mentioned in the newsletter and you get you get a heads up that there's and, a new schedule. and they range from um i had a bit of a snoop obviously before we did this interview but they range from like some of the more floristry type things how to make a bouquet to the more practical ones you do have a specific how to start a cut gar- flower garden yes. course don't you yes we do everything from it's, and it's not even all really flowery. I mean, there's quite a lot. We do Friday demos, which are, are less expensive, and they're quite jolly. Um, and it, particularly during lockdown, it's quite fun to sit down at half past four on a Friday and um, learn something new that you can then go and practice over the, over the weekend. Um, and then on Wednesdays, we do more businessy workshops. So if you're thinking of setting up a cut flower patch or even a cut flower patch that you're going to sell flowers from, uh, there are quite a lot of things like that, but there are also cash flow forecasting and uh, how to run a lifestyle business, which is very wow. important because the difference between a lifestyle business and a big old startup that's going to sell for millions is enormous. <laughs> and mine is a lifestyle business. And I'll tell you all about that. Uh, cash flow forecasting, very important. People don't know how to do it. No idea. <laughs> the, the, the words fill me with fear, to be quite frank. <laughs> Well, you see, come on a cash flow forecasting and I tell you, I will change your, I will actually change your life (laughs) in a good way. I won't make, I won't make life frightening. It'll be absolutely fantastic. Um, And your life will be completely changed. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good evening. (laughs) Uh, Can you believe the wisdom that Georgie just dropped? just absolutely blew my mind 
How does she make it sound so simple? Because it is simple, Nicole. obviously. But it's not. <laughs> the toil I've been in, like the, the, the spreadsheets and the notebooks and me feeling like I'm never going to figure it out. And you get Georgie on the show and she's like, what are you she's fretting like about? She's a mythbuster, wasn't she? Yeah. She just popped My God. all of those, you know, issues and burning questions and... and well, she solved them for me. And I must say, these are like quite popular questions from the listeners that we had from Instagram. And also they cropping up in the Facebook group quite a lot. So I think this episode, well, I really hope it was super useful for everyone listening because <laughs> it was really useful for me. And I've been growing flowers for years as well. But I think the main thing I took from her was she reminded me of Charles Dowding in lots of ways. She had that similar like chill out like stop stressing just plant three of each like you'll be fine and I think we all need a bit of that because well I mean it's locked down we're bored we're buying hundreds of seed packets <laughs> it's bad it is and that's what I took from that was you don't need to go wild I mean I don't think I'm ever going to be able to stop going wild on the daily front but at least when it comes to all the other stuff, you know, you don't have to panic about how much you're cramming in. And it was so just logical, wasn't it? It was incredibly logical. And if you loved that interview with Georgie, then I really encourage you to head over, look at her Instagram, have a look at her website. She's got some fantastic courses on there, some of which sound scarier than the others. Cash flow, right? Mm-hmm, terrifying. <laughs> but there's so much in there that, if you are looking to start on a cut flower growing journey or even turning it into a business, there's so much there that will, will help you. So we won't natter on too long because I know we wanted to keep all of Georgie's golden nuggets in the edit. Uh, so we will just quickly say uh, farewell. Oh, but P.S. Uh, before we say farewell, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review, we'd really love it. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> That would be amazing. And we will see you next week for more flowery fun. Bye. Bye. <coughs> Sorry. Talking too much. My voice is drying up. Um, it's not COVID. <laughs> um. <laughs>